0: Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 28 and extending to verse 35. Please give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, that is Jesus, acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our Father in heaven, now as we come before your word this morning, we would ask that you would give us open eyes and burning hearts. We ask that You would reveal Yourself to us in the Word. We ask that You would show Yourself to us in the breaking of the bread. We ask that in every aspect of this service that Christ and Him crucified would be made known and that the power of Your Holy Spirit now would have its way in the hearts here in this room. Apart from You, we can do nothing, but with You all things are possible. So come now in proportion to our needs and teach us by your holy word. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We have the privilege, immediately following the sermon this morning, to hear from a dear friend, Brian Doyle, who's here with a couple of members of his Congregation Mercy Fellowship, who we, as a congregation have the privilege of hosting on Sunday nights right here in this chapel. Some of you know Ryan because you've sat under his ministry and teaching here at Cornerstone. He led us through a couple of different Sunday school classes among our adults and has often also last summer led our youth uh, during the week, did a fabulous job in his work and I'm so thankful for his partnership in the gospel and so thankful that he's here today And glad that he's going to come and give us a report about how that little colony of heaven known as Mercy Fellowship, how it is growing and what the Lord is doing in our midst and this morning we're going to express our unity uh, with them in the service and Ryan and I will get the privilege of also administering the Lord's Supper together uh, with you today so we're really thrilled about that privilege and I'm excited about that in just a few moments from now. Also, some of the members of this core group will be with us for our picnic at Jim Warren Park immediately following our second service. I know that you'll be slipping off to Kroger to pick up your fried chicken here in just a little bit or you've got something in the crock pot at home, whatever that glorious deliciousness is. I can't wait to taste it. Look forward to that in just a little bit. A while, We could not have ordered better weather for what the Lord is doing. And I pray that in the breaking of the bread, in the gathering of the saints, that we will together in every form see and share Jesus. Just as we're seeing in this passage before us, as these travelers on their road back home to Emmaus from Jerusalem met up with a stranger who wind up being not all that strange to them. If you were with us last week, You'll know that we began our consideration of this passage in the first um, section of this journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, looking at verses 14 to 27 of Luke 24. We're actually in the middle of that journey today, stepping into verse 28. If you weren't here with us last week, you might go pick up that installment from last week. It is online. We paid attention to how Jesus patiently walked with these two uh, confused disheartened disciples who had seen the power of Jesus as a prophet in both word and deed before God and man. That's how they describe him in that previous section. They say that they had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. In other words, they had hoped that he would be the Messiah. And now their hopes have been dashed. Been dashed because the religious leaders in Jerusalem cut Jesus down. Crucified him. And though the women had gone to the tomb and reported that Jesus' body was gone and that the angel had said to them that he was alive, it doesn't seem to have made their way into their heart. There's no encouragement here as they're traveling back home to Emmaus. In fact, I have the very strong sense that they're going back to work and getting on with life. Um, They're probably behind on things. They've been away at Passover. It's time to go back to Emmaus and things didn't work out quite the way That they wanted them to. And in the midst of that, who but shows up but the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told in verse 16 of that passage that they were kept from recognizing him. Language that tells us it's not that they were dull of sight in the physical sense, but that they were kept from spiritually acknowledging or recognizing that it was Jesus' presence. And then we see Jesus ask them a whole bunch of questions. What is this you're talking about? And are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who's not heard about all the things that have happened with this Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, go on about this Jesus of Nazareth. Tell me more about him. It's almost humorous, this interchange between Christ and these two disciples. And of course, they do go on and they, they spill their heart before Christ and then... Nearing the end of their journey, here is Jesus who says they're slow of heart and foolish to, to not believe the Old Testament prophets and the law of Moses, and he gives them a whirlwind tour of the Old Testament. He gives them the greatest Bible study ever known in human history. He, the Word Flesh opens up the Word of God, and it is revealed that he is indeed the Messiah, and we know that all kinds of dots were connected in their heart and in their mind in that moment as Jesus was unfolding Himself in the midst of the Word. And we said that's really critical, that the Bible is critical to how Jesus reveals Himself. I said to you, if, if we were to have Jesus here with us in person this morning, even as He was in person with these two disciples and we were to ask him Jesus how do you want to make yourself known he shows us here in Luke 24 he says I want you to make me known through the Bible and that I am the interpretive center and the key of the Bible I am what the Bible is all about and so I gave you a couple of questions to begin to ask yourself as you get lost buried in the middle of the book of Leviticus or caught in one of those wheels in the prophecy of Ezekiel, and you're not really sure what to do with those, to begin to ask the question, what does this passage teach us about the God who redeems? And then secondly, what does this passage teach, uh, teach us as a person about we, a people who need to be redeemed? Those are two simple questions in your Bible reading, and I hope some of you, I know a few of you did, because you emailed me and you said it was helpful, and I'm thankful for that. No, a few of you did start applying those two simple questions to your Bible reading so that when you're lost among the trees, you can begin to see the forest again by spotting the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, the realization is there's more than one seeing of Christ, even in this passage. Last week, we saw that you can see Jesus in the Bible, and we saw this very clearly in Jesus' own teaching of the Bible to these disciples, but Today I want you to see three other seeings that are in this text. Three other seeings. We're going to see Jesus in the table in verses 28 and 31 through 31. We're going to see Jesus with the heart, which is indicated for us in verse 32. And then we're going to see and share Jesus together in community in verses 33 to 35. So let's start by seeing Jesus in the table In verses 28 to 31. Now what's clear about this text is that they have arrived in Emmaus. This is the town that they've been going towards. This is where their home is. And we're told right as they arrive home, Luke tells us that Jesus acts as if he were going further. That's the language that he uses in verse 28. Jesus acts as if he were going further. Further, Now, when it's stated that way, as you read it in the English text, it makes it sound like Jesus is tending. And in fact, more than one scholar actually draws that assumption about this particular text. And you can totally see why. The, the translation reads like Jesus was, was, was not really planning to, but he might go on and he played like he, like he was. Like he was going to head on. But I don't think that's the point that Luke is trying to make for us here in this text. The realization is that Jesus' home is not in Emmaus. Cleopas's home and the disciple with him, their home is here in Emmaus. They've made it back home. They've gotten to the end of their journey. And now you're at a crossroads. This is not Jesus' home. This is their home. And so Jesus can't just come into their home without being invited. And so he would do like any of us would do at that particular point in the journey. He would he would it's been great spending time with you. Thank you for allowing me to be this passenger along with you on this journey. I'm gonna head right up. And you would do just what I did this week as I was having coffee with someone in Someone who works downtown. We finished up our meeting, we were walking downtown and and I said, you know, well you're you're Your business is on the way to the church, so let's just walk together. And we walked together, and we, of course, got to the business, and I didn't act like I was moving on. I was going to move on, but, but I was headed in the direction of saying, hey, bid you farewell, great to see you. And he went into his business, and I went on back to the church. That would be a natural way to understand this text, and it seems like that's exactly what's going on here. But there's also the indication in this text is that these disciples earnestly desired that Jesus would not continue on. That he wouldn't leave them. They didn't want him to go. In fact, Luke says it this way. They urged him strongly to stay with them. It's only one of two times that this phrase is used in the entirety of the New Testament. and it, it is a, It's a significant urging. It, it's not the kind of invitation that we sometimes get from people. That, you know, the kind of invitations where they go, well, um, you know, you guys could, uh, I guess, I mean, you could, you could come in if, if you'd like. Um, I guess that would be. I understand if you if you don't don't want to. I mean, you, you know, you've got so much going on. I know you probably don't. You probably don't want to come in. I mean, I understand that. You probably just want to want to go on with your life, right? I mean, sometimes we get those soft peddling kind of invitations where we feel like does this person really want me to come in or not? You I'm not really sure. I can't I can't tell by the indicate. That's not what's indicated here. In fact, what's indicated here is a kind of strong urging that says, "Come on in," and we're not taking no for an answer. Come on in and we're not taking no for an answer. You you know these kinds of situations as well, right? You're going to stop by and pick up something at someone's house. You're going to dash in, you're going to dash out. And as soon as you get to the door, they go, "Hey, come on in." And you can hear that they you can smell that they brewed coffee. You know. And 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 there's this, you know, this this waft of chocolate chip cookie kind of coming out the front door and they go, come on in, I've brewed some coffee and I've, I've made some cookies. Oh no, no, really, really. I, I've got to run to the store. I've got to cook tonight and, and I've got to get, get on. Oh no, just just for a few minutes. I Really, I don't want you to go out of your way. I've already gone out of my way. I've made coffee and I've baked cookies. If you don't come in, I'm going to be offended. Oh, okay. All right, all right. I'm coming in. This is this kind of strong urging. These disciples are saying there's no way that we're going to let you Go and and the importance of this is, is, is spiritual in nature, not just factual in nature. This is the reality of the interplay, but it also tells us something about the nature of what it is that we're called to do in relationship to Christ. And it's the reminder that Jesus always enters when he's invited, Jesus always enters. When he's invited. This passage has been primarily about Jesus' initiative. It was Jesus who came up alongside them on the road. It was Jesus who asked them questions. It was Jesus who unfolded uh, the Bible to them. It was Jesus who was moving this relationship along. But as it came to a crossroads where he was going to move on, and they were going to go in their house, this was a point where they exercised responsibility. To ask Jesus to enter in to their life. Now it's no secret here at Cornerstone that we love the doctrine of God's sovereignty. We love the fact that God is perfect and holy and wise and loving and gracious and there is nothing that is outside of His control. But let me tell you, it's also no secret that we embrace with joy the fact that every single individual has a responsibility to invite Jesus in. Every single one of us. It's it's not enough merely to have Jesus alongside you on the road. One has to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And now contrary to the way many think, if God is sovereign, then man must not be free. What you actually look at when you see the Bible is that God is sovereign and man is simultaneously responsible and free to make his choices. And instead of completely understanding that and diving into a deep theological lecture at this point, what I'd like to say is, Both of those realities sit within the text of Scripture and we're called to embrace both of them. Both of them. Mysteriously and beautifully embrace both of them. That God is in sovereign and glorious control. He takes the initiative. He loved us first, but we must love Him in response. There is a call for our hearts to reach out and to embrace Jesus savingly. I want you to see how sobering this is within this text. The sobering truth is, had these disciples not strongly urged Jesus, do you know what Luke is indicating? Jesus would have continued on. But in strongly urging Jesus to stay with them, He he stayed and what did they receive? Further revelations of Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? It's a beautiful dynamic that's right here in the midst of this text. And and it, it, it actually points... to to something that's really critical in our Christian lives. When we invite Christ in to our lives and open up our hearts to His Word and the Spirit, we continue to gain deeper and deeper understandings and revelations of who Christ is. We continue in that path. there There is a grace that begets grace. A greater clarity of Jesus comes as we begin more Directly to invite Jesus into our lives and to ask Him to come in and make a change. As we see this dynamic of Jesus' initiation, their response, what we see is that Jesus rewards their trusting in Him, their invitation of Him with greater clarity as to who He is. And this is at the point where it gets really exciting because food comes in. Food take center stage at this point in the text. They just completed a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and understandably they're famished, and so they sit down together at table to enjoy fellowship in Jesus. The stranger takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. Now, some of you, because you are Bible scholars, you read that this morning and you went, that reminded me of something. I've heard that little phrase somewhere. He took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. I've heard that somewhere, before. and you're absolutely right. You heard it in Luke chapter 9, probably, I don't know, 70 sermons ago. Uh, you, you heard it somewhere in there. Now uh, It's okay if you forgot it. I expected you to. I, I had to be reminded of where that was this week. You heard it in Luke chapter 9 at the feeding of the 5,000. And one of those great miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told that he took bread, he broke it, He gave thanks, He broke it, and He gave it to them, and it multiplied. It was an expression of the fact that He was God. And He came with miraculous power. But the one that you're really thinking of is the one that we were at just maybe, you know, a few sermons ago. In Luke chapter 22, at the Last Supper, when we hear the same very refrain, that He took bread and He gave thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples. And what Jesus is doing here is He is actually inhabiting for us a pattern or a rhythm of which He is being revealed in the table. It has been the theology of the the Reformers uh, to, to believe that not only is the bread and the wine that we partake of in communion a picture of Jesus Christ, but it's also a communing with Christ by the Spirit. That it's a way in which Christ reveals himself to us, makes himself known to us in the table. And though we cannot conjecture that this is a communion service here, it is, as it were, a small sacrament supper. Not the type that we are having this morning, but a a fellowship meal of which Christ is present and reveals himself and makes himself known in it because we're told at the moment he does this, their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished from sight. I love this. I love the the flair for the dramatic that, that God clearly has in this narrative. I mean, the whole time they've walked with Jesus as he's unfolded the Bible to them, they had no idea that it was him. And now, in the breaking of the bread, all of a sudden the scales fall from their eyes, he flashes before them, and then Poof, he's gone. He's under the invisibility cloak. You know, all of a sudden he's gone. We don't know where he ended up. He's nowhere to be found. And you would think, these, you know, I'm emotionally with these disciples. These poor disciples, I mean, they're discouraged, then they're excited, then they're more excited, then they're confused again and discouraged. I mean, they, what, what's going on? I mean, this is in a roller coaster of emotions that they're dealing with. He vanished from sight. And, and and yet it's a key to Jesus' mission. It's a key to Jesus' mission in this particular moment of, of his carrying it out. His post-resurrection appearances are not primarily focused on reunion, but on revelation. This is, this is not a time for hugs and kisses, and this is not a time for, "Hey, how was all this? what in the world's going on? This is a time for you to know that he's alive, for you to know that he's alive, for it to dawn on you, for you to stew in the reality of the fact that he was once dead and now he is alive and as soon as that revelation of Christ happens on the spot he's gone and he's off to reveal himself somewhere else and in fact we find even in this text that he goes and reveals himself somewhere else at this particular moment once he makes himself known he's off and he's ready to go show himself to someone else Now we see Jesus here in this table, but I want you to see that these disciples also saw Jesus with their heart. They saw Jesus with their heart. I want you to see this in verse 32 of the text. Now, as they're reeling, no doubt, from the fact that they glimpsed the Lord Jesus and then he was gone. They did probably what you, you and I would do. They looked at what, uh, what, what, did that just happen? Yeah, it totally happened. We're not going crazy, are we? Well, we might be crazy, but that really happened. Whatever, you know, whatever's going on here, there's some strange hooey that's happening right now, but that was Jesus. He was here and we know it. And notice how they, notice how they know it. This is fascinating to me. Mine would have been about like, how did that little thing happen? How did he disappear? How did that phantom just kind of go like that? That's where my attention would be. Where did they go? They go to the Word again. They go to the Word. They go, hey, when, when Jesus was talking about Moses and leading the people out of the Exodus. And he said that he was a new and better Moses and was leading the people of God out of sin. And, and you remember when he was in Leviticus 16 and he did that sort of like day of atonement thing and he said that's fulfilled in him, that he has brought the day of atonement, he is the full atonement. And you remember when he was in 2 Samuel 7 and he was talking about the covenant with David and he said he was the, the greater David and the fulfillment of the kingship of Israel. And he's bringing. You remember when he was doing all that amazing stuff? Was your heart burning in you? totally it was burning in me. Like I, I mean, I wasn't going to slow him down or stop anything, but like every single time he was going from one passage or one symbol to another through the Old Testament, I just wanted to say, yes, yes, amen, hallelujah. That's exactly, I see it now. I, that, was, that was my spirit the, the entire time. And we begin to see these two disciples are speaking about a seeing that, that's in the word for certain. But it's with the heart. It's with the heart. Now, from a doctrinal standpoint, traditionally, historically, theologians would call this illumination. It's the moment when the word of God jumps off the page into your life and into your heart in a way that's absolutely unmistakable. That it is the presence of God both enlightening your mind to understand with clarity what the text means but igniting and inflaming your heart with the warmness of the Spirit's presence. And it's been been described by Christians throughout the history by two metaphors. It's been described as something that is both light and heat. It is something that is both, both brighter that came into clarity that you didn't see before, and both a kind of warm sense of the presence of God that is now confirming His truth to your heart in a radically powerful and transformative way. Now, this is different than revelation. This this is the revelation of God, the Bible itself. It's, It's the inspired and errant Word of God. Illumination is when the Spirit takes this Word and He opens up your heart to receive it. And you know, sometimes you hear the word and you don't really hear the word. And then other times you hear the word and your heart just embraces that word. Tears even show up on your eyes, smiles on your face. And and you begin to realize that the Holy Spirit is right now communing with my spirit and he is testifying to the power of this word and he is beginning to bring transformation. He is convicting me of sin. He is convincing me of the truth. He may be converting me from death into life. He may be sanctifying me and making Jesus more adorable, more beautiful, more glorious in my sight, so much so that I'm overwhelmed at the realization and the presence of it. That's exactly what we mean by illumination. They're saying my heart It was burning within me. Now very briefly, I want to encourage you. Illumination is not something that you can do. It's something the Spirit of God does. You can't make that happen. But here's what you can do. You can make preparations that it might. You can make preparations that it might happen. And how do we do that? Well, I... In my theology class on Thursday, we were talking about this just a little bit, and we were talking about the difference between the word coming forth and then the word actually being received, and we were talking about a worship service, and we said, Who, what's the most important thing about a worship service? And, you know, people will sometimes say, well, you know, you get you get what you bring to it, you get what you bring to it, and some of you are thinking, I didn't bring very much this morning, I just barely made it in that door, you're lucky I got here, Okay? Do we get what it is that we bring to worship? Not exactly. But is it important that we come open and ready to worship God when we come into this? Absolutely it is. But you know what's, what's more important than what you bring to worship? What God brings to worship. What God brings to worship. How many times have you come in here listlessly, disconnected, grumbling, grumbling, had a fight in the car on the way here. You're like, there's no way I can worship like this. You're in a perfect place to worship. You've not yet understood the gospel if you don't think you're ready to worship. You're supposed to be in worship when you're terrible. There's no other better place to be because you're going to be reminded that He's great. He forgives you and He changes you. So in that moment, He's bringing everything into worship. And how many times have you come in here totally... Expecting to sleep through another one of my sermons and for whatever reason whatever reason this Sunday you're awake and maybe something that was said got in and it changed everything for you how many times has that happened he's faithful isn't it? he's faithful to meet with us he's faithful to bring that illumination and so you can prepare and here's, here's just a couple of points on preparation if you desire to experience the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit in great measure Do you desire that? I I can honestly say there is nothing more than I desire than my heart to burn within me, than to see Jesus. There is nothing more joy-filling in my life than that. And you know how sweet it is, despite the fact uh, that we may not do the aid and preparation for it, but there are ways that you can help maximize, as it were, the benefits of this illumination. And the first is very clear. Reading, meditating, and studying on the Bible. Do you notice in this passage, illumination didn't come out of thin air. It came from the Word. It's amazing to me. Jesus just disappeared in front of them and they asked each other, how was your heart doing during the Bible study? Like they weren't even talking about the change of Jesus. It's remarkable to me that the focus of the text here goes back to the scriptures, when he was walking with us and showing himself to us, was your heart not on fire? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. This reading and meditating and studying on the Bible and putting yourself under that means of grace is one of the means that the Spirit uses for illumination. But secondly, prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God. Prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God. I can tell you the times, there, there have been times where I would stand up in this pulpit and right before I go, oh, I don't like this sermon. You know, like I'm sitting right there and I'm thinking, I don't like this sermon. I... Lord, okay, Father, this is your message. Okay, this is not about me liking this sermon. This is your message. What do you, what do you want to accomplish? And sometimes I'm praying right before I preach and I'll pray, Lord, without your Spirit's help, it doesn't matter how many hours I put into this. It doesn't matter how many beautiful turds of phrases. Ooh, that's, that's, oh, that's good. No, no, that's not it. It's when the Spirit of God unites. It's in the moment when I acknowledge that I'm utterly dependent upon Him that He comes. Prayerful dependence on the Spirit in the reading and meditating studying of the Bible. And then here's the third one, and this is where it gets hard. It's where the rubber meets the road. Eager obedience to the commands of God as He shows you His truth. Eager obedience. Eager obedience. When He shows you and He reveals to you, this is what you need. Do it. Do it. Give yourself to it. And you know what begins to happen? I said it earlier. Grace begins to beget grace. Wind gets pushed into your sails. All of a sudden, you followed through on that one thing that He showed you and all of a sudden... There's, there's more and you go back to the Bible and there's, there's more encouragement. Why? Because now you're keeping in step with the Spirit. Now you're keeping in step with the Spirit. You said amen to the truth, but you put it in flesh in your life. And what you'll find is that as you walk in the rhythm of these three, God very graciously rewards us with the Spirit of illumination. Now, some of you, because you're deceptive, your hearts are deceitful like mine, you're going to go, great, I have the recipe to make the Spirit come. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. The wind blows where it wishes, Jesus teaches us. But we cry out and seek for the wind to blow on us. We're not in charge of this. We're not in control of this. We can't manipulate it. But we put our way in the path that He might do that work. That's our hope. All right, so we see Jesus in the table. We see Jesus with the burning of our hearts, but we also see and share Jesus together. And we see this in verses 33 to 35. Having the truth of God's word warm their hearts, having glimpsed Jesus in the flesh, these disciples head back, we're told the same hour, to Jerusalem. So they just made a seven-mile journey. Now they're going to make a 14-mile journey and head their way back to Jerusalem. And they've received the greatest news. They're, a pack of wild horses is not going to keep them away. There's no way they're going to be bottled up. They're heading right back to Jerusalem. They want to let the disciples know that those women were not telling an idle tale. Jesus is really, really alive. He's, he's risen from the dead. And I love this. They burst in through the doors and what do they hear? They hear the disciples on the other side of the door go, Jesus has risen. Simon, Simon saw him. He's appeared to Simon. Now, I must admit, I, I feel for these two disciples. I, now, there's no indication of this in the text, but I feel for them. They're not like me in this regard. I have been thinking on that seven-mile journey, how am I going to let off this beautiful surprise grenade in the midst of the disciples so they're going to be so excited about what it is that happened to us. And immediately when I walk in the door, they go, hey, he's alive. He appeared to Simon. Oh, great. <laughs> you know, that's my tendency. You know, that's my selfish tendency. Wait, wait, that was, that was, my, that was my thunder. Like, that, no, that was what I was supposed to say. How do you already know what, what only I thought we, we knew? You know, that's just very, but you know what, what I love about this? And the reason I'm making this point is because some of us, some of us being me, some of us love sharing the news and forget the news and the sharing. Have you ever been disappointed that someone got to share the news before you got to share the news? Which meant that you were really more focused on you than on the news. And there's no indication of that here in the text. What that means is they've been so absorbed into the reality of Jesus' resurrection that instead that instead of having a little pity party of not getting to share their whole story first and them already knowing the news instead they go you too you too he showed up with you too all of a sudden they see all of a sudden they see That this is more verification, more joy, more increased revelation of Christ. And because it's all about Christ, their joy just goes up another notch. It's a beautiful picture of what the community of faith is actually all about. That every indication in this text is that as they see more of Christ, no matter who the mouthpiece is coming through the word, through the revelation of the bread, through the community of faith, that each time Christ is revealed, their joy goes up just a little bit more, and they share, and they begin to see Jesus together. And let me tell you, this is the spirit of what it's like to be the church. This is the spirit of what it's like to be a church. You know what I long for? I long for you and me to experience when we're together in each other's presence, you can say, I saw Jesus better today because I met with Kent. I saw Jesus today because I met with John. I, I, I'm, I'm sharing in Jesus more today because I met with Todd. I, 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 we are together a Christ-seeing and sharing community. That Christ, He revealed Himself to us in the Word. This is what He's doing in my life. Here's the calling that He's given us to. And we're reminding each other and pointing each other to Christ so that this becomes a place that's not burdened, but a place that we're taking on the light and easy yoke of Jesus. And we're walking in the Christ-remembering pattern of discipline that every single soul in this room desperately needs. And you see, one of the joys today, even in having Mercy Fellowship with us, is the fact that that doesn't just happen within churches, it happens between churches. We're, we're all the body of Christ. Christ. And as we see and share in Christ together, the, the joy is exponential. As we see things that they do that we couldn't do and are not gifted to do, they see things we do that we're particularly gifted to do. We had one experience, they had another. We share in it, we savor it together and the joy increases and Christ is glorified. That that would be the single-minded focus of us as His people. And so as we, as we consider what it is that's been revealed from this text, we're asking the Lord, Lord, come make us a seeing and sharing Jesus community until we see Jesus and we share in Him forever. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we, we do want that to be the drumbeat of who we are as your people and that you would make that reality more and more true. So come now. And through the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit, who's at work in our midst, make this word more than revelation. Make it a living word that illumines and changes and transforms our life and our community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.